Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today, we're bringing to you an inspirational guest who followed her passion to create a thriving business rooted in her heritage. Law was a nonprofit executive for 18 years who turned into a Hmong food entrepreneur. If you would have told her five years ago she'd be getting married and uprooting her whole life to move to the Pacific Northwest and live on a farm, she would not have believed you. But after meeting the love of her life, she married Steve and moved to Portland. After a year of exploring the woods of Oregon, living on a farm, raising chickens, she emerged with a mission to bring her culture and cuisine to life. Law launched Lawang Foods almost two years ago with the sole purpose of creating a Hmong food movement and cultural experience in the Pacific Northwest. Through her business, she launched Outlaws, a Hmong food cart. It's the only Hmong food establishment in the Pacific Northwest in the entire 40-year history of her people's immigration to that area from Southeast Asia. She's been featured in Portland Monthly. Her food cart was named the best new food cart of 2018 by the Oregonian. And recently, she spoke at the Woman Farm to Food competition, where she presented her business plan to the Agricultural Commissioners and placed second, winning $10,000 for her business. Wow, that is quite an inspiring story. So welcome to our show. We're so happy to have you here. We'd love for you to start by telling our listeners how you found the courage to take this wonderful leap of faith. Thank you. And thank you to Denise and Samantha. I just want to preface that I truly love the show. So I almost feel as though I'm talking to celebrities. So if I'm talking a little bit this morning (laughs) and giddy, I feel like I'm this 12, 13 year old girl who's meeting a celebrity again for the first time. So I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. Thank you. So and I and I learned quite a bit from you two ladies and also Deb and all the, sh- the three podcasts in my own spiritual journey and this reawakening that I'm going through again too. So I I just want to say thank you so much for oh, providing a wonderful educational platform. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, but just a little bit of background. Um, you know, and I I and I've shared this bits and pieces and, and you know whenever I talk to anyone, but actually I. Uh, it is true. If you would have told me five years ago um, that I would be where I'm now, I would have said you're crazy. I was, as I call it, a self-professed uh, bachelorette, single mom for the longest time. My son is 25 now um, and never thought that I would take the plunge and, and uproot my whole life. But of course, yes, things happen. I fell in love with uh, my husband and, and we got married and then I moved out here and I thought, oh, yes, you're married. Everything should be fine and dandy. Uh, (laughs) Happily ever after, right? But moving from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Metro Portland, Oregon, you know, the Pacific Northwest, I did not realize uh, the shock, the the set of just, you know, just everything that would occur to me emotionally. And so I moved out here and I was, I didn't realize that I was depressed, you know, just being uprooted from my whole life because my son uh, stayed behind. He wanted to stay in Milwaukee. He's like, no, mom, you go. I have my whole life here. <laughs> I got a college. I have my business. And so I moved in. It, yes, I, I worked for nine months in my other career and it just wasn't, it was very toxic, so toxic. And I think part of that was because I just wasn't myself. I just wasn't myself. And and then, you know, my husband probably feeling so guilty uh, that, you, you know what, take some time off uh, if you need to, however long you need it. So the first time, for the first time in my life, I became a housewife. That was kind of a cool thing. I never got to do that. <laughs> I always had to work because being a single mom for many years, you, you have you have to do it all. So, um, you know, and, and during that time, I mean, through my depression, I came to uh, love the woods, nature. That was very grounding and very, very therapeutic for me. I also, you know, he bought the farm before he married me. So I moved here and sort of got, you know, got really immersed in, in, the plants, and although I'm still not a great gardener, I still suck. I'm not that great. Uh, I really became um, very knowledgeable of working with my chickens and my ducks, but mainly my chickens. And I have to say that they truly, in so many ways, I felt as though they brought me out of my depression. And that one whole year um, while my husband was gone, so I spent a lot of time on the farm and just raising them, caring for them, the baby chicks and everything. And about a year, it, I didn't realize that a whole year has came and gone um and i'm like i think it's time to go back out there and what am i going to do so you know just kind of some happenstance and 
went going to a local um, popular restaurant in downtown Portland with some friends. They did make a, they did offer, out of the bloom, offered a traditional dish called mung beef tartare. And I, I don't eat it because it's raw. I don't do that. <laughs> My husband does because he's, you know, he knows how to make that dish. So he was fascinated. We tried it. He tried it. And he's like, this is not the ingredient. And it was a cultural dish that is oftentimes offered at all event ceremonies. And so I said, now, if anybody's going to screw up mom food, it's going to be me because I don't eat that dish, but I could make it if I have to. <laughs> so it, it was the inspiration for all of this stuff. And then I launched it. Why here I am today. And it's very funny. You know, sometimes people ask me, why did you name it Laving Foods? And I said, I don't know. I had to launch something and I had to get my paperwork together legally. So I just said, forget it. Just use your name. Who cares? You're changing at some point. <laughs> so that's what it is. And then it kind of, I'm like, I launched the Laving Foods. And I said, okay, well, how can I bring Hmong food to the market and, uh, and the cuisine and products from my farm? And I said, you know what? Metropolitan is known for the food cart culture. So I'm going to do it that way. And to a, I have to admit, and I don't know if I share this with Denise and I, but a lot of people did tell me it wasn't going to work because no one knows anything about the culture, the cuisine, or anything. But my heart and my instinct kept telling me, no, it's not, it is going to work. And no, I'm not going to fold in six months. I just, I feel it. It's, when I get that instinct where it says, you got to do this, it's going to work. I just moved with it. And don't get Wow. Incredible. Full cart, crying, going, what the heck did I just do? I gave up a, a successful career, you know, and, and, you know, my husband has to pitch in and he's got to pay for some money whenever I'm short on some things to buy things, to do events. But we did it. We're, you know, it's a little bit over a year into this whole thing. And although I still have my moments, I'm like, I'm going to keep doing this because this is my path. So it's kind of long, but that's a journey. <laughs> But it also, I mean, when we've chatted, it's, it's, yes, it's about the Hmong food and the culture, but also about exposing people to cultural differences and building a community in, in the Pacific Northwest. And I absolutely love that aspect of your business as well. But the fact that you did this with on instinct, on following your gut, on paying attention to your intuition and from it's just been these beautiful stepping stones of okay step here step here step here mm -hmm. and i literally shake my head as well to say from from a to b how far this has come already it's absolutely amazing <laughs> you know the funny thing is that a lot of people tell me that and i know you you've mentioned that too but during this whole i'm going i don't know i still feel like i'm still working it every day oh yes <laughs> And, and don't you find, though, that that's part of it, that, yes, you have this passion, this drive, but you also have to be willing to work your ass off and have it be of being of service or it's not going to work. But when you put those three aspects together, the universe rolls out the red carpet. They do. They do. And I definitely agree with you on that one. But you know what? It was one of those things that I know I mentioned to you, Denise, in my email, too, is that how interesting it is that even though um, – you know, even though this was a journey of now walking this path, just taking that leap of faith, I think, has strengthened my intuition, just strengthened everything in my connection to source. Um, and I crack up a lot listening to both you and Samantha talk about how uh, growing up when you were younger, you spend your time at the library. Well, I was laughing because I'm like, oh, my God, I was 11 years old, spending my summer at the library, picking up books on ESP and astral projection, all that stuff. And, uh, and it was always a part of me. But now at this stage in my life, it truly has kicked into high gear where, um, you know, I thought I actually was going crazy for a moment there when I thought I saw my spirit guide. So I asked for signs and, oh, my God, I got it, right? So I'm like, uh, you know, just doing all of this, I think it, it forces you to walk in faith. And, you know, I was telling my husband that there are days when I'm, you know, working and doing my stuff. And it was just me. And I had no one else to confide with. I didn't have a team like in my former career where I had staff. I had managers who reported to me to help me strategize. This was it. My strategy team was God and my spirit guides and whoever was willing to listen to me. <laughs> and that took a lot of faith to say, okay, I know you guys are, I don't hear you, but I trust that you're hearing me. And so I need your help on this because I can't figure this out. Can you tell us more about that? Like seeing your spirit guide or sensing your spirit guide? We get a lot of questions from people and they'll say, I think I made a connection with my guide, but I'm not sure. 
No, absolutely. And it was because of, uh, you know, all the podcasts. I mean, that's what I do when I'm practicing. I love it. And that's why I said, oh, my God, this kept me in the zone whenever. <laughs> so listening to you ladies has truly helped. But medit- I know Deb and Deb always talks about meditation. She's not she's not lying. I, I'm telling the listeners she is not lying. That woman is correct on that one. You have to meditate. And so I said, okay, fine. I'm going to sit here. Um, I'm going to meditate uh, early in the morning uh, before I start my day. And I, I thought it was the strangest thing. It's like I, I went into the zone and all of a sudden um, it was probably between that, uh, in between, I can't remember, was it alpha state or something when you're so, um, um, you're there, but you're not really there. And I all of a sudden saw this guy, uh, you know, guided meditation. I saw this gentleman approach me and it startled me and I woke up, but I remember the vivid blue eyes. It's like his eyes are so crystal. Uh, I remember it was very, you know, period, ancient Roman time. And I'm like, wow, it's probably the reason why I resonated with it. And I'm like, no, you're going crazy. But I'm like, no, the lady said, if you wanted confirmation, ask for it. So, you know, the whole day I was thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to do that. So I said, all right, if you are my spirit guide, I need a dolphin because I'm never going to find a dolphin out here in the Pacific Northwest. It's just not possible. And so that's what I asked for, and I was very insistent. And I kind of forgot about it until a couple of days later. It was Sunday night dinner when my stepchildren came back home to us. And I, you know, we usually have Sunday night dinner. And I was sitting there. Uh, we were talking to chatting over dinner table. And I looked at my stepdaughter around her neck, and I say, Grace, you're wearing a dolphin. And she said, oh, yes, Mom, I just, I just got it because we were on the coast, and I picked it up. And I saw that dolphin and I had to contain myself. I didn't want to jump up because the kids and my husband would probably look at me and say, what is going on with you? <laughs> but at that moment, I sent shiver down my spine going, okay, yeah, I, I met you. I've met you and uh, you're the real deal. So now that we've made that connection, you need to make yourself even more present. So what I've noticed is that over this past year, as I walk in faith through my business and develop and my intuition became even stronger than it used to be, it's like now I don't necessarily even, I can feel it, but I hear them more. It's like, and, and I'm kind of glad that I get all the teachings from you ladies because I was like, no, this isn't my voice. Cause it does sound like your voice, but it's not my tone. It's not what I would normally say. And so now I just hear it. I just hear it in my head. I don't know if that makes sense, but now I just hear it. I hear them talking whenever I ask a question. That makes yeah, that perfect makes sense. sense. Perfect sense. And just the fact that you've been willing to, and what I love about this law is that you are in a very corporate world, very linear sequential. Yeah, very, <laughs> yes. I mean, there's not a whole lot of woo-woo with what you did in your previous, <laughs> previous career. No, no, so no very throw your arms open and jump off the precipice and to, to make that connection with your guide, to get that validation. But also it's, it's a nice reminder too for, for folks that are listening that once you do open that door, it does come in more and more and more. And the fact that now Claire audience is, is kicking in and you're hearing it. And I love your description of that because that's exactly what it is. It's your voice, but it's words you might not use or tone and inflection that don't resonate with the way that you speak, and that's a, a good way to, to determine that it isn't coming from your own mind, which is yes, yes, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating too. I, you know, I've always had a sense that I could sense things growing up. Um, in fact, even in my old career, my old job, I remember my boss. He he knew that I had an uncanny ability to feel and read people. So sometimes after our meetings and such. He'll always come and ask me, well, what do you think? What do you feel? What, what's your read on that person? And I would always just tell him, yeah, this is what I think. This is how I feel. <laughs> so, it, But you're right. It's very, it was very, very linear, sequential. And I think in some ways that has helped me quite a bit um, in, in this world where, you know, I know Denise, you've mentioned it, where it's like I could, I'm, I have found a way to just merge the two because there are, you're right. There are moments when I'm sitting here and going, no, you have to go this route. And I'm going, but that doesn't make sense, but okay, I would trust it. And then I'll just plan a strategy to get there one way or another. I'll just somehow get there. And then when everything happens, I'm going, oh yeah, okay, it worked. <laughs> you have to follow your instinct. <laughs> well, you know, so much of your work is, is rooted in your culture. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel guidance from your ancestors? I I do. Um, you know, it's very interesting because traditionally, uh, 
the, the Hmong uh, belief system is ancestral uh, worship. Um, although it's very interesting because my parents and my family, I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, my, fam- my parents converted over to Christianity many moons ago when they lived in Southeast Asia. So we sort of abandoned a lot of that practice, although my husband still followed it a little bit for a bit. And then he, his family converted over to Christianity when they moved to the U.S. too. And so there is still a part of that um, ancestral, you know, honoring, remembering and asking your ancestors for guidance whenever you need it. And I think maybe because I wasn't taught how to uh, ask your ancestors, it's not as strong as perhaps my Christian faith where, you know, God and and, uh, your guardian angels are there to support you. And I kind of wish that my family would have continue a little bit of that practice more so. <laughs> it does all tie together. And I, I, mean, yeah. I truly believe that you're, you're channeling ancient wisdom with a lot of the stuff you're mm-hmm. doing. And also bringing such a service to people with, and, you know, just because I love animals so much, you use a different breed of chicken in your food, right? It's not just a yeah. chicken. Yeah, these are very special breed of chickens that you probably can't find them outside of uh, the mountains of Laos because that's kind of where my history began uh, in the in the northern part of northern Laos in the mountains. And um, they, when my when my when the people, the Hmong people, immigrated to this country, they they carried the seeds of, of produce that they used to grow, and then they also brought these special breeds. Uh, blue skin, mom chicken, and also the white skin, but more so the blue skin, only because it was a part of the heritage. Um, and so at a time when the U.S. didn't ban chicken uh, or being imported, and so they were brought here. And it, it, it's very rare, and I say that these are rare because um, these blue, especially the blue skin chicken, um, you can't, people tend to keep in their family as an as a heirloom. Um, they don't usually give it to other people because they were highly prized. And so uh, I really, I wanted it so bad that my husband found uh, some breeders who were willing to give me a pair. And so, um, you know, whenever people ask me, well, what kind of chickens do you have? Oh, no, I don't have the American barnyard chicken. I actually have the special breed. And uh, as someone who brings it to the market when I can, it, it is truly a rarity and a special thing. And I tell my husband, one of these days, these chickens are going to make, you know, they, I'm going to bring them to the market at a much larger pace than we are now because actually the broth, it makes some of the best broth ever. But yeah, no, it's, it's, an, it's an heirloom. It's definitely something that I take great pride in. And, you know, I, I love, who knew that I could actually communicate with them? That's the funny part. I could, I could communicate with them. I understand them. So, but yeah, no, it's, uh, they're, they're just one of a kind. And to be able to be tied to, to my culture and just being able to tie to that piece of history, I think to me, is probably one of the things that I take great pride in being able to talk and showcase. As you should. Now, for people listening to this thinking, I want to do this. I want to follow my passion. Help us understand you get the intuitive nudge that you're supposed to do this. What are the practical steps you took to put it into action? Like, did you take a small business class? How did you actually start? (laughs) The funny thing is, I'm just one of those crazy person in my life and someone once said this to me you are very linear sequential but the moment you get something you just jump and so that's what I did <laughs> I I jumped head first um the funny thing about it is that I kind of explored it a little bit and I told my guys because at that time I wasn't working right and I wasn't sure how we were going to fund the operation so I, I remember and I wrote it down to I said God if you truly want me to do this you know I don't have a job my husband and I can fund my husband can help fund it to some degree but I need to I need some kind of part-time work uh, to sustain this. So I, I actually found a contractual part-time work, and I'm like, and and at that moment, the moment that came up, the food cart, the pause, the location that I wanted, it just sort of all came together really fast and rapidly. And so that was my cue to say, okay, uh, God met your condition, so you better jump. And it was still scary, but. I it was I think it, I have to say that over all of this I told my husband I'm like oh my god they said that one of the locations is available should we do it and there might be a food cart that one of the owners is selling because they're trying to get out of the business so we just did it we just pulled the trigger no jumping in no business course no planning I just said I it feels right I'm just gonna jump in head first and we will figure this out so I wish I could sit here and, and give people practical advice on how to do this but I did and I just jumped in head first. Uh, without anything other than saying that, okay, we have to do this. 
No, but that proves that when you do follow your bliss, when you do trust the nudges of your intuition, the universe just provides. It, it does. And, and you know, we, we found a way, you know, I don't know about anyone, um, and bless, God bless my husband's heart, you know, who truly supported this whole vision. And I always tell people, yes, I'm the face of it. Um, and I am the one that's out there a lot of the time, but he truly is the foundation for all of this. And so, you know, I, I didn't have $25,000, $30,000 sitting around in my bank account. So he just said, well, if this is truly what you want to do, then you know what, we will, I will take out money um, from, his, from his 401k. He, he did that for me. He believed in it. I don't know how I convinced him <laughs> because it, I don't, I, you know, maybe for love, maybe for guilt. I don't know, but <laughs> we're just, we're, we're just going to do this. And so he pulled out the money for me and from his investment and uh, bought me the food cart and we just kind of went from there. And I just say, okay, God, one way or another, if I fail, I'm going to fail trying. But if you want me to do this, you're going to have to provide. And it, that part right there, like I said, just took so much faith and, um, it was it was a lot of fears. Like I said, I had my fear. I had my moments where I wanted to walk away from it completely and just liquidate all my assets. But I said no. Um, and then the other part, I have to admit, I think in a way you have to kind of know yourself. I knew that the moment I publicly make a statement to the world that this is what I'm going to do, and everyone was waiting for me to execute, I had no choice uh, but to execute. Because it was, in my part, I didn't want to embarrass myself, <laughs> embarrass anyone. So uh, I held myself accountable um, because I made a public statement that this is what I was going to do at that time. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I, I think it's been, uh, I, I just got my pinch me feeling. You've had so many <clears throat> accolades and so many wonderful things fall into place with this. And yes, you have worked really, really hard. But you, what I see is people taking a blindfold off and realizing before we had chatted the first time, I wasn't familiar with the Hmong culture and, uh -huh. and embarrassingly even where it was on the planet. And, and oh, it don't really, worry. <laughs> <laughs> but it opened up that door and, it, and I did some research and it was fascinating and just what a beautiful culture. And I think that that's another whole aspect of, of that this is bigger than you, but that you've yeah. gotten out of the way and saying, okay, I'm willing to be the spokesperson but you know, okay, God, point me in that direction and I'll do it. And you've had these beautiful, beautiful affirmations and, and accolades that have supported you to keep going. Yes, uh, you're right on that one. It did result in um, opening the doors and, you know, community events and, you know, and I think I mentioned this too, where Portland Community College invited me to come and do a talk about the history, the culture, and do a little bit of demonstration of the food. So it has become this, I don't know, a path and this movement that I had originally wanted to create where it's like people will uh, come to understand a little bit more about the culture and cuisine and how integral we are to American culture. And I, I won't go into too much of a long history, but it's like how integral we played in, in a in, during the Vietnam War, because, uh, you know, without the involvement of that, you know, much of what was happening in Southeast Asia at that time wouldn't have uh, happened that way, too. So it, 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 in some ways, I didn't realize the, the magnitude of what I was doing when I became the person where a lot of a lot of like businesses, whenever they needed interpreters or something about it, they would just reach out to me because when you Google Hmong up here, at least in the Northwest area, my name comes up, my food comes up. And so they reach out to me and I found a way to at least connect uh, them to resources within the community. And I think the biggest, I would have to say that the biggest, uh, um, uh, I guess the word, I can't figure out the right word that I'm using, but humbling is probably what I would say was when a lot of younger kids in their 20s who travel all the way from Seattle, Washington too, where they would come in, they said, thank you for doing this because in the entire time we've been here and grew up in America, we've never seen an establishment and someone so dedicated to bring the culture and the food to life. And so at that moment, I realized, oh my God, I'm doing something much greater than just food. Um, and it is in some ways a heavy burden to carry because you carry the weight of your people and your culture on your on one shoulder. I oftentimes say, God, just don't let me screw this up because this is, uh, you know, you're carrying an entire history because no one no one can go to anyone else other than coming to me first. And so 
I had to represent the cuisine properly. I had to represent whenever I talk about the culture and our history and involvement, I had to make sure that I speak in it in such a way where, where I do justice to what we've gone through. And so um, that was my defining moment to say, okay, this is definitely much bigger than you. It's not just a tiny food club that you wanted to do. You're meant to do something greater. So I'm like, all right, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. But you have to make it clear because, you know, I'm kind of deaf sometimes and I'm hard-headed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stubborn. I, my human self comes in the way. So help me see what I'm supposed to do next. So, yes, it's, it's been a very humbling experience. How hard was it for you to take that time off? Because Denise and I talk about this a lot. I, I think taking time for yourself when you come to those moments of, okay, this job is like a soul-sucking experience and I'm not happy. But it takes, it takes a, a certain kind of radical self-care to give yourself permission to take that time off. And obviously it was life-changing for you. But I wonder, because you seem like you're just as hardworking as Denise and I are, super <laughs> motivated and driven. So was that awkward for you in the beginning? It was extremely awkward just because I was, I was head of the household. I was breadwinner, um, you know, because I, you know, I, I didn't have anyone when I was pregnant. I actually went through pregnancy by myself. Um, And I I raised that kid all alone all these years. And so you, I came to all of this with just, okay, I got to do this. I have to hold my own. And it was, I felt terrible because I was thinking like, oh my goodness, my husband married someone who could be a co-equal partner to him <laughs> and I don't have a job <laughs> I, I don't have my career I can't even support myself I, I have to lean on him and it, I think but in some ways that truly uh, I think that was a great lesson for me in, in learning to lean on other people as opposed to saying I can do this but I mean don't get me wrong it was very difficult in the beginning um, you know going from this person who can handle herself to oh my goodness, I don't have anything else other than, than my husband. I had to lean on him. But it took me a while. But at the same time, I had to come to terms with it and say, you know what? Yeah, uh, I, you know, and I think the last uh, job that I had was so toxic that I said, I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm just going to enjoy myself. So I think it took a little while for me to come, come to terms with that. It wasn't easy. And even during the whole one year that I took some time off for myself, I still felt guilt for not doing what I should have been doing as a wife. But then I resolved that by saying, but you're not always like this. When the time comes, you're going to do something even greater. And there's going to be a time when your husband is going to lean on you. So that's how I, that's how I, I, I guess talked myself into the whole thing. (laughs) That's perfect. I love that. And hopefully you reminded yourself that you deserve that time. I did. I think part of the whole thing, uh, you know, how I, I guess, came to terms with it was, look, you gave up your whole life for this man. This is the least he could do. (laughs) (laughs) This is the least he could do because he has his whole life here. You gave up, you sold your house, you moved away from family and friends, from your son, everything that you knew. That was a lot to give up uh, or at least to move away from for one person. So I'm going to do this, damn it. I deserve this. Good for you. (laughs) And, you know, God bless his heart. My husband was such a patient man. Uh, You know, and I I know I mentioned Denise brought this up like, oh, he's a six. I go, yeah, he is such a lottie bad type of person um, that he's just willing to go with the flow. So I think his love and support truly helped make me feel a lot better about myself when I took that time off just to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. One thing is I have to, when you were discussing the kid coming down from Seattle, that literally yeah. brought tears to my eyes. It, there was such a oh. to that, that it is. And one thing that's been throughout this whole conversation is you, you always refer back to your faith and let go, let God and point me in the right direction. And I think that's a huge, huge, huge part of why things are moving in the direction for you that they are. And with your husband, what I love is the the two paths converging with his dream is to be able to be more on the farm and with the chickens and starting the <laughs> it just That's his whole dream. <laughs> right. But it's it's truly the the claw game picked you two up and put you together and said, Okay, you're both gonna come together and do this big work and I just absolutely love your story. 
because it's it, it's faith. Uh-huh. Yes, it, it really, it truly is a leap of faith. And you're right about the whole, that's all he wants to do. I mean, he, it's so funny how, as I went on this journey with him, how I also developed my own, uh, you know, my own faith and, and, and this whole, whole spiritual awakening. Um, this year, I remember towards the end of the last year, I started, I have to admit, I don't know about you too, but it was kind of scary for me in some way to let my husband know that, you know, my whole life I've been intuitive, sort of, but now my intuition and everything else, uh, has kicked into high gear to the point where I kind of see things sometimes in my my third, you know, in my mind's eyes with people who have passed. I, I've started seeing some of that too. But, you know, I, I protect myself. So thank you ladies for some of those tips and everything. Uh, but I was afraid to tell my husband that he might think I'm kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, but I'm like, well, you know, I started telling him bits and pieces of stuff about things I've been experiencing. And this, before the end of last year, I told him that, look, uh, you're going to have to trust me in 2019 because I'm going to probably do stuff and make decisions all purely based on faith. And so I started telling him a little bit about, the, you know, manifestation, laws of attraction. I said, you have to feel it. Have, that's the whole thing. I'm like, so I made him listen to some of the podcasts. <laughs> and quite surprisingly, with him being an engineer and a linear sequential thinker, he said, oh, yeah, okay, I think it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I still don't know if he um, truly believes it, but he sees how I've been able to manifest all of this stuff so rapidly. So he has no trust that you've been have faith and listen to me when I tell them a certain thing that I have this gut. I'm like, I just feels right. We got to do this. So, <laughs> but it does rely on a lot of faith. So I have to admit, I think this whole stuff has truly strengthened uh, my connection to God even more. Um, because in truth, when you have nothing else but yourself to lean on, you have to lean on something. And that my faith was the one thing that I could lean on. And I had, I have to do it even more now um, and to get signs and ask for signs and just continuously talk to my spirit guide and say, look, you know, you guys got to help me. I can't do this. And so that has helped. That's so, it's such an important reminder. You have to mm-hmm. ask for help and you have to tell your guides, I really need this help and it needs to be delivered in this very specific way because that's the mm-hmm. way free will works. Well, after all those years of being on your own and being a single mom and being so focused on work and providing and taking care, how do you think you opened your heart to allow this wonderful new love to come into your life? You know, I I have to say it, I'm I'm still learning. I remember my husband proposed to me. <laughs> I said, you know, I suck at being. I'm gonna probably suck at being a wife because I've been on my own. <laughs> And I'm telling you, the man just has a heart of gold. He's like, well, we'll work on it together. <laughs> so I, it took some time. It took some time for me to allow someone to help me. I think that was my biggest issue was allowing someone to truly stand with me and for me to say that you don't have to do this all on your own. Um, you're not meant to live on your own uh, like this. You, you need people to lean on for support. So it took some time. And I have to admit, I'm still learning. I, I uh, and opening my heart and being vulnerable to him to say that, uh, I, you know, I can't figure this out. But I think it made it a lot easier because he truly has been by my side throughout this whole business launch when I'm short on, you know, when I need capital uh, support to, to fund certain things, to buy certain things or whatever it is that we need to do, it was always him. And so leaning, this business has forced me to truly lean on him. And I think that has opened me up to a whole different world in my heart to accepting that. And, you know, just listening to a lot of the universal law and laws of manifestation that you have to give in order, you have to receive in order to give, you know, vice versa, this whole cycle of life. So I'm like, okay, and I have to do that if that's what it takes, and I have to do that too. So it's been it's been a humbling experience. And your story too of how it feels very progressive with your your intuition, then the clairaudience, and the clairvoyance, then the you know the mediumistic stuff, and trusting more and more and more. But in many ways, all of this is you've come back to your truest self. That yes. it goes back to that little girl in the library. Yes. No, I, I remember telling, uh, you know, I had this on, I only shared it with my husband and I don't think I've ever shared it with anyone, but now I'm going to share it with the entire podcast too. But, you know, when, when I was younger, probably about 10 or 11, and, you know, we would play house. And that was the first sign that I remember uh, something about me being able to see my future. 
I, it never resonated with me to being married and having a child and this white picket fence. That never resonated with me. I have always seen myself as this single mom with one child. Uh, and I, at that age, I was going, wow, that is kind of strange. Don't I want a husband and some kids and whatever, you know, whenever we, we would play house as little kids. But I'm like, no. I'm like, I think that was my, um, that, that, that was like a defining moment that kind of set me up for being open to some of this stuff and then finding my way into the library to read some of these books at such a young age. So you're right. I think it kind of brought me back full circle to this person who was always fascinated with this world and that there was something else besides just this physical form that we live in. Well, short of hooking up a psychic cart onto your food cart and doing readings, <laughs> I would love to do that, but I don't, I just have to, I don't have to train, I don't have time to do training just yet, but maybe that will come at later. How do you incorporate your intuition into your daily life? Um, I have to say um, meditation has truly helped me and, and um, you know, and I, I love to be able to spend um, 20 minutes or so, but when I don't have time, I think prayer has helped. And I just kind of sit in silence, even for five minutes before I start my day. And I said, just, just let me be a vessel. Uh, if today if something comes up, because you just never know, just let me be a vessel. I'm doing this and get, get, get me out of the way so that I can continue to do this work. And, you know, I, I like I said, I love the whole psychic protection because there's so many things that goes on out there when you're serving people, when you're chatting with people, you don't know what kind of energy uh, you can drag home. So I oftentimes have to just ask my guide to protect me uh, because I am working in a, in a service industry and I don't want to take any of that stuff back home with me and just make sure that whatever I put, you know, whatever I cook that day, uh, let it just uh, inspire people and give them a little bit of joy. So that's kind of how I do it. That's that. beautiful. I like that prayer. Do you find, either of you, I find this, if I cook a meal for my family with love and joy in my heart, the meal comes out really, really good. But if I'm cooking like, God, do I have to cook one more meal? I'm so tired. <laughs> the, the meal doesn't come out as good. Do you guys notice that? I, I do, I do, and, and, and that goes because there are times here at home where I remember I'm like, I don't want to cook anymore, I'm tired, <laughs> or there are those days, that, you know, when I'm working the food cart and I'm going, oh my God, really, I'm so tired, I was up, I pulled a 12, 16-hour shift yesterday, prepping and whatever, and it does affect how you feel, and it does affect how the quality, uh, even though I may use the, uh, even though I may have a standard recipe, things will kind of sort of screw up a little bit. So I had to change a little bit. I'm, I'm getting better because there are days when I feel really tired and I just couldn't, you know, I can't do it. I need sleep or something. But I'm like, just remember, um, it comes out, it comes out in, in your food if you, you don't put your heart and soul into it. And you're just doing it because you have to do it. So I, I agree with you on that one, Samantha. Yeah, you know, speaking of libraries, in my library when I was in middle school and high school, the only woo-woo book we had was a book by Scott Cunningham. He's really big in the pagan community. And it was a book on, like, food and spells. So wow. I checked it out. And in there, he was talking about how every time you cook, for example, you should always stir in a clockwise direction because that, like, you know, helps your energy flow with the food. And he was talking about how, like, if you want to cook a meal and you want to, like, pull negativity out of someone, then you can stir in a counterclockwise direction. And I was, like, 13 or 14 reading this, and, and he was saying how the intention that you put into food um, really does come out into the quality of the food and, and how you can, like, hold your hands over the food and blessings do work and intentions and prayers. And, and I remember as a kid going, whatever, like, you're just stirring pasta in water. I, I just didn't buy it. But then as I got older, I think there's some truth to that. And it's something I, I think we can all do as we, as we cook food for ourselves and or our families is to really try to bring an energy of love and gratitude and blessings into the food because food is nourishment, but it's also 
community and connection. I like that. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stir it with more intention now. <laughs> <laughs> also think, um, because I used to raise broilers and do organic gardens, and one of my, I used to love, love, love making a whole meal with everything that I raised. It was just, it tastes, and that was why I switched to organic chicken is when I raised my own chickens and you uh -huh. taste the difference in the texture of, uh, I don't know if people, uh, chicken liver versus something that you buy in a, a store. It, it's, it's a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of the work you're doing is also promoting the, the food to tape, the, the farm to table, the, you know, smaller scale so that you can use mm -hmm. the fresh and the local. And that is so, in my own humble opinion, not so humble, so, so important right now is to bring back that self-sufficiency to people with growing their own food or having access to good, clean food. Yes, I, you know, it's very interesting because culturally, uh, farm to the table was always part of my upbringing because I remember growing up as a kid, my mother and my father would oftentimes rent community gardens and they would always plant their own vegetables and I would have to go and help you know, pull the weeds. Although I wasn't that good at it, um, I would pull plants instead of actual weeds. So I got yelled at a little bit by my mother. <clears throat> um, which, but it was always a part of what we did. My mother was always a fan of going, uh, you know, finding a local farmer and buying her own chickens, which uh, she'll bring home. And it was kind of embarrassing growing up. There's <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> this lady bringing some fresh chickens to her backyard and she's slaughtering it herself. And I'm like, oh my God, mom, really being this American kid going, really, you have to do this? <laughs> um, and I remember she would make me hold a chicken and I, and I still can't do it. I, I have to admit that even though I live on a farm and I raise these chickens, I, I, I cannot do it. So my husband is the one that has to do, you know, well, at least when we eat it, um, he has to butcher it himself. Um, but you're right. I mean, the taste of it is completely different than just buying it at the grocery store. And even, even the ones that are raised, uh, I, you know, maybe it's just me, but even the ones that are raised that they consider organic or whatever, it still doesn't taste as good as the ones that I raised. Maybe because I raised it myself. So my eggs, I just like the eggs that I pick up a lot better. The vegetables that grow on my farm um, just taste a lot better, in my opinion. But, you know, it, it's just kind of good to be able to see something that I grew up with now taking more of a, a shape here in America in a bit, in a way. So Yes, yes, exactly. I always feel like such a hypocrite because I love animals but I do eat meat once in a while. <laughs> but I know. I, every I know. time, it's hard. But it every is. time I do cook, you know, chicken or, or steak, I do take a moment and I will hold my hands over that package because I, I do buy mine in the store. Yeah. And, yeah. and I will say, you know, thank you so much for yeah. your sacrifice. Oh my gosh. And I think I, uh, that's mm -hmm. important. Okay. Yeah. No, I just, no. I just think if we do that, it, yeah. I don't know. It alleviates my guilt at, at the very least. No, I, I totally get it. I, you know, I, I tend to eat more vegetables than I do meat, um, but I do eat meat. And I don't have to admit, I don't think I'll ever completely go vegetarian just because I do crave for it. Um, and I remember the first time, because it took me, you know, I haven't really done much of the slaughter of my mother in such a long time. So when I married my husband, the first time that he had me help him, gather some chicken because he was bringing it to his, his mother, my, my late mother-in-law. I remember holding that uh, container and him putting chickens in there and I'm just crying going, Oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do this. And so I swore off helping my husband do any of that stuff ever again. I'm like, my only job is to take care of them and love them. And if they're sick, I'm going to take care of them. But after that, you're on your own. I will not touch that chicken any way, shape, or form, you're going to have to bring it. Uh, if you're going to slaughter it, you're going to bring it inside uh, completely clean. Then I will cook it. <laughs> so, yeah, I do feel sometimes I am a bit of a hypocrite on that one. But, you know, I, I pray and I oftentimes say, look, I'm so sorry, but, um, you know, thank you so much for providing for us. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I have a client who studied at uh, – I think it's pronounced Findhorn or Findhorn, that mm -hmm. spiritual garden place in Scotland. And she claims that she can communicate with flowers and plants and trees, which 
I think is so cool. And she was having a really hard time because she loves to have cut flowers in her home. Mm-hmm. And so she was meditating and trying to connect with these, you know, flowers she had she had cut and put in the vase. And she said that the flowers told her, this is our service to the world. This is how we serve. We all serve the earth in, in, in some way. And this is how we serve. So do not feel bad for cutting us because this is our service. Isn't that interesting mm-hmm. to think of it that wow. way? That is very interesting. Hmm. Okay. Who knows at the end of the day? Well, tell us... <laughs> Tell us, what is the best thing and and the most challenging thing about being self-employed? After, you know, 18 years of working for other people, what's the best and the most challenging? I think that the best thing is that I get to truly dictate the direction of where I want this, you know, of of actually executing on my vision. Um, that no one tells me what to do. Um, mm. This is how I see fit, and this is the direction I'm going to go towards, and I don't have to get into a room of committees or with my colleagues or with the president to kind of talk about these things, <laughs> and I don't need consensus. So that's the best thing. Um, and then I can make um, last-minute gut instinct decision that doesn't even make sense, and I won't be truly judged for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but the worst thing, or at least the most challenging thing, is that I don't have uh, a team of people, uh, at least not yet, that I can confide in or talk to and say, okay, this there's this issue. How do we get ourselves out of it? What's the best direction? So just not having that team to help you and make decisions, I think, has been the most challenging for me personally um, because I'm it. You know, I'm the marketing person. I'm the PR person. I'm the operations. I'm the dishwasher uh, you know, you're the lead on all of that. And that's been, I would actually say that's been the most challenging. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I, and I agree with that being self-employed myself. I think I've never worked as hard as I have being self-employed. Uh-huh. And it sounds like the same is true for you too, yeah. but it, it doesn't always feel like work because no. it's, it's what I love doing and right. it's exciting to be in, in charge of mm-hmm. what you are doing. And so right. I think that's kind of the flip side. For me, the hardest part is, is finding that work-life balance. And that's something I'm really working on. Do you have a hard mm-hmm. time with that? Oh my gosh. I remember. And actually earlier this week when Denise and I chatted too, that was last year was all spent on business, business, business. And my, my, you know, I I was thinking to myself, like, my God, I, I miss hiking. I miss going out with my friends. We used to hike every single Saturday into the mountains, deep into the mountains. I mean, I haven't even been able to truly do that. And um, I can't even exercise as much as I used to. Y- you know, I, I'm like, I need to change that this year. I need to be able to spend more time with my family. It's not always about work. I need to fly back home to Milwaukee, Wisconsin more often uh, because I miss my family and friends there too. So it was a challenge, but I set the intention this year that I'm going to do that. I cannot, I don't want to be married to this business. I, I just can't. It's not, it's not how I envision this whole thing to be. So I'm working on it. And that's huge. Taking that first step of, of saying, okay, this and everything that we, we hear and people we talk to, they always say that's the answer is you have to take the time off to be able to really flourish in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But no, you're right. I, I, that place, yeah. That's another yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. But, you know, I, I'm going to do more of that this year. Even if it's, even though it may not be exactly how it's going to be just yet, I need to start start that process because um, like I said, I, I miss being able to spend a lot of time on my farm with my chickens and playing, you know, just being outside. I, I miss all of that. And although it's great, um, you know, chatting with people every single day and, you know, serving and, and communicating with folks, I'm like, no, I, I, I miss this other life. I miss my downtime. I really miss family time more than anything. And that's what building your your team is all about. And that Mm -hmm. will come for you. You know, my Mm -hmm. sister and brother-in-law owned a restaurant for 25 years. And they had, it took them a long time to figure that out too. And I remember when they made the decision to close the restaurant on Sundays, but when they hired a manager and they were able to take Mondays off and Wednesday Mm -hmm. nights, 
Ooh, what mm-hmm. a shock that was a huge change <laughs> in their lives. Yeah, the, the funny the funny thing is I when we launched this, people would say, Oh my god, if you do this, you're gonna be married and you're gonna be married to your, your business and you're you're never gonna have time anymore. And I say, Well, in the beginning I have to do that because I must understand the operation of everything exactly. I have to. Um, but I've always said to everyone from the very beginning, my the reason why I launched this business was never to be married to it. I don't really care if I don't, if my net, if what I earn is not that much, I'd rather pay other people because I'm trying to buy my freedom. That's it. I want the freedom. I want the, uh, just not only the financial stability eventually and retire my husband. That's my one goal is to retire my husband as an engineer so he can be a chicken farmer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I'm like, I do not see myself. I've never seen myself being working seven days a week on this. I set the intention that I'm only going to go in three days, four days out of the week. I'm going to have to hire people because I don't want to do this. It's not, it's not how I want to live my life, especially now being, you know, marrying my husband at a much later stage in my life. And I don't have that much time or the the luxury of time like I used to. I want to spend it with him and, and our kids. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And it's, well, from everything that we've talked about, you can manifest with the best of them, sweetie. So that's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. That's what I keep telling myself. I'm like, okay, I manifest, you know, I have to admit that there are days when I question and doubt myself so much about everything that has happened. But then having those validation, things that I, that just kind of came up or manifested out of, as I call it, osmosis. I'm like, oh yeah, you were able to manifest that. So just keep the faith. It's going to happen just, you know, when it happens, when it's time, but it's, um, you know, I was having this conversation with my husband um, after we, after I presented last week in Virginia at the women's farm to food competition. And I told my husband, I'm like, I finally had a realization in this whole journey that the universe and God, um, I'm not waiting for them. They have been waiting for me. That was the clear message that I got was they were just waiting for me. And when I'm ready, everything will come. So I was like, huh, what an interesting message that I got, <laughs> that they've been waiting for me. That's beautiful. What, before we close out, what would you say to anyone listening to this who's thinking, I want to take a leap of faith. I want to follow my bliss like she did. What, what would you say to them? I would have to say uh, that, you know, and, and, and people have to do things on their own comfort level, but sometimes you just have to look at it and say, you know what, there's no time like today. You might not have tomorrow and just jump, just truly jump and believe that God and the universe and your guides will give you your wings. It, it, that's just the only thing that I could say, because if I sat here and thought about everything, I would never do it. I had to jump with nothing more than just faith and say, they'll catch me one way or another they're gonna have to catch me that's perfect i love it well thank you so much for joining us if you guys want to check out more of loving's work please go to her website it's lovingfoods.com that's l-a-v-a-n-g-f-o-o-d-s.com and we will link that up on our facebook page and put it in the show notes as well we hope that listening So this inspiring conversation has motivated you all to think about following your own bliss and taking your own leap of faith, whether you have a net or not, just do it. Because I think that's the whole point of being in this world is learning to listen to our intuition and follow those inner nudgings of our hearts. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And everybody, please don't forget that Next week, Denise and I are teaching um, the business of being spiritual, teaching you how to create your own spiritually based business. And if this show has motivated you enough to take that leap of faith, join us. It's Wednesday night um, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And that information can be found on my website, SamanthaFay.com. In the meantime, don't forget to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.